All right, greetings to all of you, greetings to all of our campuses and venues, those meeting at Traditions, uh, as well as those meeting at Christ Community West at Northridge. We are so glad all of you are here. You know, my wife and I have lived in Greeley for 25 years this July, and we love this community, we love the people, we love the parks, we love the location, the university, our church. I mean, we think Greeley is a fantastic place to live and a fantastic place to raise a family. So we are huge Greeley fans. But one of the things that we noticed when we got here years ago, we noticed that in this community, we noticed that there was sort of a negative image in the minds of many people. I would hear people who had never, ever been to Greeley make negative comments about it, about the smell or whatever. And for those who lived here, there was often an apathetic uninspired attitude toward this community. And it would frustrate me. You know, I just felt like there was so much good in this community, but people were missing it. Now, I wasn't the only one feeling this. A few years ago, uh, some of our city leaders decided to launch a rebranding campaign to try and change that perception. They called it um, Greeley Unexpected. I'm guessing most of us here are familiar with the Greeley Unexpected campaign. I think the strategy is brilliant. They're not trying to make things up about Greeley, you know, painting this picture of Greeley that isn't true, like some slick travel brochure. No, their approach has been to find things about our community that are true, but that most people are unaware of. Unexpected stories of real people in our community doing creative and significant things, and then telling those stories as a way of highlighting the goodness of our community. I think it's working. There is, there is a more positive attitude toward this community than I've observed in, in 25 years of living here. But by discovering afresh some unexpected truths about our community, it has stirred a deeper love and appreciation for Greeley. So as I was thinking about this Greeley unexpected campaign a while back, I realized that we could really use a similar thing, spiritually speaking. We all could use a Jesus unexpected experience in our lives. We all could benefit from a renewed vision of who Jesus is. Because when, when you and I see, really see who Jesus is, our lives will never be the same. And we, we need that. We all need that. For those of us here who are believers in Jesus, we can easily settle into this kind of, you know, ho-hum sort of going through the motions religion rather than a passionate love relationship with him. And what we need is a Jesus unexpected experience in, in our souls. We need to rediscover who Jesus is. Letting him blow up the boring boundaries and boxes that we've put him in so that our love for him is, is rekindled. But it's not only Christ followers who need something like this. There are, there are some of you here who have rejected Christianity. Or maybe you're wrestling with some pretty significant doubts about your faith, questions about Christianity. Maybe your parents are into this, but you're just, you just don't buy it. You see the hypocrisy in, the, in Christ, other Christians or, or certain scandals or irrelevance in the church, and you've concluded, I, I don't believe that stuff. If, if that's where you're at spiritually, I am so glad you're here. Because I think one of the best things you can do in that situation is to examine this Jesus for yourself, to set aside any, any presuppositions or things or, 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 or you know, uh, preconceptions that you've had about Jesus or you, things you've been told about Jesus. Set aside those things to examine for yourself this amazing person. I mean, who knows? You might have a Jesus unexpected experience. 
where your whole attitude towards him changes. Again, I believe we all, we all need this. We, 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 when we see Jesus for who he is, our lives are transformed by him. Okay, so where can we turn for a Jesus unexpected experience? Where can we find an accurate, vivid, life-changing picture of who Jesus is? Well, there is, there is an amazing book in the Bible whose purpose is this very thing. It's the book of Luke. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone or whatever you're using now, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 1. I love this book. I love this book. I'm so excited to be studying um, this book, parts of this book this summer. And my my prayer is that we will see Jesus in a fresh and life-changing way. Now, in Luke chapter 1, we are introduced to three different people, unexpected people, you might say, who can help us in our journey to begin to see who Jesus really is. The three are a doctor, an angel, and a pregnant teenager. Okay, like I said, a bit unexpected. But each one can help us experience Jesus unexpected. The first person is a doctor named Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the book that we're going to be looking at. He also wrote the book of Acts, which means that if we're just measuring words, Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, including the Apostle Paul. Now, we we know from the book of Acts that Luke was a physician, which is a very significant piece of information. What are some typical characteristics of doctors? Well, for one thing, they care about people. They give their lives to serving and and helping people. And we see this throughout the book of Luke. Luke obviously has a heart for the hurting. You can see this throughout the book. He gives special attention to the under-resourced, the outcast, the poor, the needy. He, He truly reflects Jesus' heart for those that society has overlooked. We'll see that theme over and over again. Now, we also know that doctors have a scientific mindset, right? I mean, that they're focused on testing and, 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 and the collection of accurate data. I mean, they have to be in order to accurately diagnose and treat various diseases and conditions. Okay, so with, with all that in mind, look with me at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where, where we see Luke sharing his reasons for writing this book and his approach to this topic. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke is very clear about his purpose in writing this book. He acknowledges that others have written accounts of Jesus' life, like Matthew, Mark, and and, and, and John, but he too wants to write an account. And the reason is because he has a particular approach that he wants to utilize. Luke's writing is directed towards people who are non-Jews, people who are Gentiles. He's writing to people who are not churchy. People who haven't grown up going to to synagogue. And you see, he's in a unique position to do this because he himself is a Gentile. But he is also in a unique position to do this because of his vocation. Luke is able to approach this as a scientist would. 
as a physician would. Luke says here that he wants to write an orderly, well-researched account of Jesus' life. And this is exactly what we see in, the, in this book of Luke. I mean, Luke, well, we'll see it here. Luke is incredibly detail-oriented. And in his writing, in, in Luke and Acts, he includes lots of specific times and, and specific dates and specific people and places. In his writing, in Luke and Acts, he specifically mentions 32 countries, 74 cities and places, and 95 people by name. I mean, incredible detail. Now, now we, know, we know that Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus. So how, we might ask, how can he write an accurate account? If he, if he wasn't an eyewitness, how can he write an accurate account? Well, he tells us. He thoroughly researched this, including interviewing eyewitnesses. <clears throat> he is writing this book between 30 and 40 years after Jesus lived. Now, some may say, that's a really long time. I mean, that's a long time, you know, but, but it's, it's not a long time in terms of history. It's not. I mean, my uncle actually fought in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. <clears throat> He's still alive. He was recently interviewed by, in, in, in a Kansas City newspaper where he described what it was like to be in that battle some 65 years after it happened. Now, what better way to discover what really happened than to interview someone like that, an eyewitness. He was there. He was there. Luke is writing this document when there are people still alive who actually experienced Jesus, who knew him personally. So when he talks about carefully investigating this, he is talking about sitting in lots of living rooms with people like Mary or shepherds or Peter and talking with them about what actually happened. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. Just let that sink in for a moment. We are looking at a book that contains eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. A well-researched, thoroughly investigated document describing who Jesus is. This isn't something someone made up. This is investigative journalism. This is history the reporting of actual events. That's the way the book of Luke is written. See, here's what Luke is saying to us. You don't have to set aside rational thought to believe in Jesus. You don't. You don't have to take a blind leap of faith in order to believe that Jesus is real. You can examine these things for yourselves. You can examine these things for yourselves. See, Luke reminds us that it is not unusual it is not unusual for a scientifically minded person, a person who cares about detail and who cares about truth, it is not unusual for that person to come to the conclusion that Jesus is real, that, he is, that, that, that the accounts of his life are historically reliable and that the impact of his life is supernatural. So if you're a person who is doubting whether or not Christianity is true, I encourage you to read this book with an open mind and heart. It would take, if you, it would take about two hours if you just read it in one sitting. You could do that. Or you could read it in little increments, maybe 15 minutes a day. But the goal, the goal would be to examine this historically credible document. Examine for yourself, seeking to discover for yourself who Jesus really is. Okay, in addition to Dr. Luke... We are introduced to a second person or being, 
I should say, who gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And that being is an angel named Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we read these words. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus, his name is spoken on earth for the first time by the angel Gabriel, who visits Mary. Now, angels are mentioned frequently throughout the Bible, but they are not the cute little cherub with a harp sort of beings, you know, that people kind of have in mind on greeting cards and all that stuff. Angels in the Bible are studs, okay? Angels in the Bible are often strong and powerful. And here we see one of the most powerful angels of all, the angel Gabriel. Gabriel actually shows up 700 years earlier in the book of Daniel. Same angel shows up seven centuries earlier um, in the book of Daniel with some important information for Daniel. So we know, we know Gabriel is a total stud here. He is, he is a significant player in God's angelic host. And now he's sent, he, Gabriel, is sent by God to Nazareth a small town in Galilee. Now, the location here is a bit unexpected. It's a bit surprising. Nazareth was an insignificant spot on the map at that time. It was a very small town with a not-so-great reputation. It was the kind of town you stop in to get gas and a Slurpee, and then all the while you're thinking about how glad you are you don't live there. Okay, that, that was kind of what Naz Nazareth was a nothing place. It was, a, it was a nothing place at that time. In fact, in John chapter 2, in, in, in the book of John, chapter 2, when Philip hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, you remember what he said? He, he, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I mean, that was the attitude. That's sort of the, you know, sort of the way people from Boulder feel about Greeley, right? Or, or people from Colorado feel about my home state, Kansas, right? So <clears throat> Nazareth, small town, like a village probably, barely on the map, insignificant. So why there? It's because of who lives there. God had chosen a very special teenager to be a part of his amazing plan. Her name was Mary. She was a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, to be betrothed, what does that mean? Well, in, in, in biblical times, it was, it's sort of like being engaged, except it's, it was way more official. There was actually, there would have been a betrothal ceremony. The parents arranged the marriage, and then there would be a betrothal ceremony. And at that point, the couple was viewed by everyone. They were viewed as being officially married. <clears throat> but the girl, they didn't come together t uh, until the wedding. So they, they were viewed as being officially married, but the girl continued to live with her parents until the wedding. So again, marriages were arranged by parents. Often girls were betrothed um, as early as 12 years old, 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. And so in all likelihood, in here, Mary is a teenager, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. 
And God sees something special about her. So he chooses her for this most important experience. And he sends Gabriel to tell her about it. So let's look and see what the angel Gabriel says to Mary about Jesus. <clears throat> and, and before we look here, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for, for many of us. We already know the end of the story, right? We've, we've, we've heard these details at Christmas and all this stuff. We know the end of the story. We already know lots of things about Jesus' life. But imagine, imagine if you were hearing these words for the first time. Imagine that you don't know anything about Jesus. You don't know anything about him. You don't know anything about the cross. You don't know anything about his miracles. You don't know what he was going to be like. And now you have this angel standing before you, giving you specific news, specific information about this child to be born. Now, there are two very important foundational things that Gabriel communicates to us, to Mary and to us, about this Jesus. First of all, one is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Verse 32, starting in verse 32, he says, He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Wow. I mean, this description is amazing. And every one of these descriptors point to this foundational reality that Jesus is God. He is God. Gabriel declares that this child will be great and we will be called the Son of the Most High. Later, he describes him as the Son of God. These are divine titles. Right? That, 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 that Jesus will shares the same substance as God the Father. Now, I know Jehovah's Witnesses will try and argue the, the point that Jesus is not God, but the evidence is overwhelming. He consistently claimed to be God throughout his ministry. And here we see this truth asserted before he's even born. Son of the Most High. Gabriel also reveals how God will give Jesus the throne of his father, David. In other words, Jesus is going to be coming as a divine king. He will reign, Gabriel says, he will reign forever. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will eventually confess his lordship. And one other term Gabriel uses to describe Jesus, holy, holy. Another divine term, verse 35. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Holy One. See, before Jesus is even born, Gabriel is declaring that he is God, that he is Lord, that he is holy, and that his kingdom will reign forever and ever. Jesus is fully God. Now, Gabriel also describes the circumstances that enable this to happen. Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and she will be impregnated by God so that the child born to her will be the Son of God. What's being described here is beyond the realm of human understanding, right? A virgin birth, a child born to a virgin. 
It is absolutely miraculous what Luke is describing here. Absolutely miraculous. Now, now I realize that, that many people scoff at the, the, the notion of a virgin birth. Some, some try and put this in the same category as, as Greek mythology, which would have been very familiar to many of Luke's readers. Greek mythology is filled with gods, you know, having sex with women and producing semi-divine offspring. And some say, well, that, that's all that's being described here. This is like Greek mythology. <laughs> the, problem is, the problem is this doesn't at all read like Greek mythology. It doesn't read like that. Remember reading Greek mythology in high school? <clears throat> it's just weird, right? It was nothing like this. It was not written as a, with historical events, with specific times and specific people who lived and eyewitnesses who observed these things. Again, Greek mythology was just weird and very you know, general and weird. Contrast that with how this account is written. Again, Luke is writing as a physician. He is writing as a physician. He is giving specific detail. Yeah, there's a supernatural element to this, but it is also rooted in history, in actual people who were still alive when Luke was writing. See, what Luke is forcing us to do, what he's forcing the reader to do is to wrestle with the evidence. It is not an option to just instinctively dismiss this as mythological fantasy. That's not an option because Luke is writing as if it happened. He is writing as if it actually happened. So we must evaluate to see if we think it really did happen. Okay, now in addition to his divinity, there is something else that Gabriel communicates to us about who Jesus is. Not only is he fully God, Jesus is fully man. Jesus coming to earth was not a spaceship delivery, um, some fully grown alien, you know, that, this, that looks like a humanoid and he just happens to appear on earth. No, no, no. Gabriel lets Mary know that you will conceive and give birth to a son. She is going to conceive. In other words, she's going to get pregnant. And this baby is going to be in her womb for nine months. And then she's going to give birth to him. And this baby will, will then need to be nursed and fed and comforted when he cries and cleaned up when he poops. I mean, this is such a radical, unexpected idea. The God of the universe needing a diaper change. It boggles the mind. And yet that's exactly what's being described here. Jesus fully experienced our humanity. He became one of us. He experienced fatigue. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. Later in this book, we see that he will experience the pain of rejection. We'll see that he'll experience the frustration of dealing with irritating people. Jesus had to go through that too, right? He, he fully embraced our humanity. I mean, th this is the miracle of the incarnation. He became one of us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what temptation feels like. He knows what grief and rejection feel like. He's been there. He's been there. I mean, what an amazing person this is. He is he is not far removed from, from any of us, you know, sitting behind, uh, you know, his CEO desk, running the universe with no time for ordinary peons like you and me. No, no, no. 
He is with us in a profound way, beyond what we can comprehend. Fully God, fully man. That's what the angel Gabriel declares. And in the rest of the book, we see this actually playing out. Which raises a very important question for us today. So what? So what? I mean, all of this stuff about Jesus is awesome and wonderful, but what difference do these truths make to us in our everyday lives? What difference does it make to the person having difficulty finding a job? Or to the single mom struggling to raise three little kids? I mean, all this theology is wonderful, but what, does it really matter? Does it really matter that much in our day-to-day existence? Absolutely. And here's how it matters. See, the reality of his humanity and his divinity come together in his name. Gabriel said that his name will be Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. Literally, this name means he saves his people from their sins. If he were only holy, a holy God, we would be separated from him unable to experience him or have a relationship with him. And if he he were only a human, he would be unable to truly help us. The fact that he is both human and divine means that he can really help us in our need. He can really save us and transform us. He is real. He is alive. And he came to earth for you and me. Emmanuel, God with us. Luke's description of this event in Mary's life, his, his description of this event in Mary's life is not simply there for the purpose of making sure we have accurate historical, our, our, accurate, our historical facts correct, and it's not simply there to make sure we have our theology correct. The reason this is here is because these truths can transform our lives. For the weary single mom or the insecure teenager or the financially struggling 40-year-old, or the disillusioned 50-something, or the grieving widow, or the shame-filled addict. Jesus came here for you. He came here for you. He died on the cross for you and me. He loves you and is with you. Do we believe these things? Do we embrace these truths? And what might that look like? What might that look like to embrace these truths? Well, we see the answer to that question in the third person in this story, this teenager named Mary. As we said earlier, the reason God sent Gabriel to Nazareth was because Mary lived there. God had her eye. God had his eye on her. He had chosen her for this very special task. So here is this 14, 15-year-old to whom an angel appears and tells her that she's going to be pregnant with God's son. And that's not an easy thing to process, especially when you think about how this is going to impact Mary's life. She is engaged to be married, and now she's going to be pregnant. This kind of stuff doesn't go over well in a small town, right? And it probably doesn't go over very well with her fiancé. I mean, what's Joseph going to do when he finds out she's pregnant and she tells him God did it? You know, what's Joseph going to do with that information? Imagine all the stuff that is running through her mind at that moment. The shame, 
the potential canceled wedding, the future she had dreamed about now crumbling before her eyes. I mean, this was going to cost Mary a lot. It was going to cost her a lot. So how did this teenager respond? She didn't process this on Facebook with 200 friends or whatever. She didn't tell Gabriel to give her some time to think about it. No, she did something pretty unexpected, something that was incredibly powerful. She said yes to God. She said yes to God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. She said yes to God. See, one of the ways, one of the ways for us to break out of the spiritual ruts that we find ourselves in, one of the ways for us to experience Jesus unexpected is to say yes to God. It's to say yes to God. I'm guessing that all of us here, I'm guessing that all of us here have some area in our life where God is asking us, inviting us to say yes to him, commanding us to say yes to him. For some of us, God has been, God has been laying on our hearts something that he wants us to do. But we've been dragging our feet, hesitating. We're afraid of the cost. Things are comfortable in our lives right now. It's easier to just ignore the challenge that he has set before us. For, for others of us here, we, we have specific areas in our lives that we know are not aligned with God's heart. We know they're not aligned with his will. Maybe it's an area in our finances. Maybe it's some relationship. Maybe it's some habit or some ethical issue at work. Deep down, we know what God wants us to do. But we're ignoring his promptings. We're ignoring his conviction. Here's the critical question. Will we, like Mary, will we say yes to him? Even when it's hard. Even when it doesn't make sense. Will we say yes to Jesus? This is not an insignificant decision. This is a decision that can bust open the door to a deeper experience of Jesus. You see, one of the, one of the reasons that we lapse into a state of spiritual complacency, and we all do this, one of the reasons we lapse into a state of spiritual complacency is because we prefer, let's be honest, we prefer a safe, comfortable Jesus. We want a tame Jesus who doesn't ask us to do anything too risky or too hard or too uncomfortable. That's the kind of Jesus we want, but it's not the kind of Jesus he is. It's not the kind of Jesus he is. He is not interested in being a Jesus that we put in a box with a pretty little bow. No, he is, he is, he is a holy, powerful, loving God, and he wants to be that in our lives. Again, the question, will we say yes to him? When we do, in whatever area we're, talking, area we're talking about, when we do say yes to him, we step into the adventure of experiencing Jesus unexpected. A Jesus who transforms our lives and our hearts in ways beyond what we could have imagined. That's what Christianity is designed to be. 
That is what Christianity is designed to be. Not a boring, you know, stale ritual, but a dynamic relationship in which we continually say yes to Jesus. And he responds by continually giving us more and more of himself. That's the Christianity that Jesus invites us to experience. And it's a Christianity we experience by saying yes to him. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you are here and you are speaking to us through your word. And for some of us here, maybe this is a a familiar passage. We read it dozens of times and yet there is truth here that you want to apply. It's not about knowing the story. It's about living in light of the story, living in light of these truths. So I want to pray for that. I want to pray, first of all, we just pray for anyone here, for folks here who they are in the place of questioning their faith. Maybe they've given up on Christianity or just not convinced it's true. I pray for them that they would have the courage and the openness of heart to read the book of Luke and that you would reveal yourself to them as they do so, as they read this well-researched, eyewitness account document that you would open their eyes and their eyes to see who you really are. Pray for that. Secondly, I want to pray for those of us here and and we know Jesus is asking us to say yes to him. We know exactly the area or maybe the Spirit's bringing it to mind to say yes to him. To, even though it's going to mean doing something kind of hard, doing something that costs something. Are we willing to say yes to him? Let's just take a moment. It's in the quiet of our heart and in whatever that area is. Are you willing right now to say yes to him? Just in the quiet of your heart, say, yeah, God. I want you. I want to say yes to what you're asking me to do. Let's just do that for a moment here. Lord, you know know those areas. You know those things that you are asking us to do. And I I pray for all of us the courage to say yes to you, just like Mary, to say yes, even when it may be hard, when there may be a cost involved. I pray for this, Lord, in these areas of our lives and that you would release your power in those areas where people are saying yes to you in obedience, to saying no to a to something unhealthy, to saying no to something else and saying yes to you. I just pray for you to pour out your spirit and your life in those situations, bringing transformation, bringing unexpected things in a good way. Because we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to follow you. So thank you for being this amazing God, this God-man. You came to us. We say yes to you. 
there's one other invitation I want to just mention here. You can just keep your head bowed if you want, but there may be some of you here, and um, what you need is to say yes to Jesus for the first time. I'm not talking about saying yes to religion, yes to going to church, yes to trying hard to be a nice person. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying encouraging you to say yes to Jesus. See, Jesus died on the cross for you and me. He died in our place to take the sin, to the, the penalty for our sin upon himself. We were separated from God, and Jesus enabled this, this gap to be bridged by giving his life. And he himself says that the way we enter into this relationship is it's not about trying hard, it's about by receiving. It's, it's through receiving him as a gift, placing our trust in him. And maybe there's some of you and you're thinking, you know, I don't have all my questions answered and all my doubts, but I want that. I want a relationship with Jesus. And I sense there may be some of you here that you just had a bad experience with church in the past or a Christian who's hurt you, and, and as a response to that, you just kind of rejected the whole thing. And I'm just telling you, don't, don't reject Jesus because of the, the church, a church you've been a part of. Don't reject Jesus because of another Christian. Focus on Jesus. What is he saying to you? Let him take care of those other things. This is about you and him. So if there are some of you here and you want to place your trust in him, right now you can receive this gift. Let me lead you in a prayer. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit that you are holy and I'm not. I am separated from you because of my sin. And I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And Lord, I acknowledge there is nothing I can do to get to you, not enough good deeds and trying to clean up my life and all this. Nothing I can do to get to you because you're still holy and I'm still a sinner. So you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, as we've just seen in this, this account in Luke 1. You sent your son, Jesus, to become a man, to be our savior, to die on a cross, for my sin. And I choose right now to receive you, Jesus. I place my trust in you. I bring to you my questions and my doubts and my failures and fears and sins, my addictions, all of it I bring to you. And I lay it on you. Because you died for all that. And I open my heart now to receive you forgive my sin, past, present, and future. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life. I receive your Holy Spirit right now. Come live in me and change me from the inside out. Father, thank you for those here who prayed that prayer. Thank you. There is life. There is forgiveness. There's a new relationship with you. Help them grow in this relationship. And I pray that for all of us that we would grow this summer in this series, and as we're looking at your word, that we would grow in our vision of you, Jesus, and our experience of you. We want more. We want more of you in our lives. So we ask you to do that. Set us free to worship you now. Set us free to worship you for who you are, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We offer ourselves to you to say yes to you in any and every area because you're worthy of that. Why don't we stand as the worship team leads us in a time of response to the word. 
Intercessors are available uh, around the room. You can go at any point and go receive prayer from one of these folks. They'd love to pray with you. But Jesus, set us free to worship you now. We love you, God. Thank you.